Well, for several years in the 80s, the toy that every kid seemed to want for Christmas was a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. How many of you are old enough to remember that? There's fewer and fewer of us, right? But um, yeah, every kid wanted a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. There was some unique aspects to these types of dolls. So for instance, each one came with a a name personalized by the manufacturer. Uh, They came with a birth certificate and a a date that this uh, baby was born. Uh, They also, if you turned them over, anyone remember this? There was that printed signature of Xavier Roberts on the back. Everyone wanted one. And as long as you don't tell anybody, I will be man enough to admit today that I, too, as a young boy, wanted a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. But the problem was, as you also might remember, they were really hard to find. They were in such high demand that it was hard to get your hands on one. In fact, when a store had a new shipment, there would actually be lines of parents or adults out the door to hopefully get a chance to buy one. There were fights between adults as they scrambled to get their hands on a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. Well, one Christmas, there was a rumor amongst my family that my grandma had actually gotten a Cabbage Patch Kid for me and my brother and my sister. And this was going to be the absolute best Christmas ever. I remember that package from grandma were the the last three that my brother, sister, and I opened. And I remember pulling off just a little bit of the paper, hoping to know what was inside there. And I saw eyes and I saw hair. It was absolutely a doll. I tore off the rest of the paper because this was going to be just amazing. I took the doll out and something wasn't right. You know, a Cabbage Patch Kid doll has like a hard plastic face. This doll had a soft cloth type face. The doll I took out was larger than a Cabbage Patch Kid doll, and there was no name, there was no birth certificate, and the clincher, I turned it over, no signature from Xavier Roberts. This was not a Cabbage Patch Kid doll, and I was devastated. I came to find out later that, much like the rest of the country where my grandma lived, all the stores were out of them, and she came across these three imposter dolls, I'll call them, at a craft fair that she attended. And if you were to rummage through old family pictures at my parents' house and find a picture of me on that Christmas so many years ago, you would see that there was probably tears in my eyes. <laughs> as I held this doll that I did not want. I was disappointed. I was disappointed with Christmas. I have a question for you. Have you ever been disappointed by Christmas? You know, that's very easy to happen. Here's part of the reason why. By the time Christmas gets here, most of us have been thinking about it for at least four weeks, some of us longer than that. There's all the planning and all the cooking and all the gift shopping and all the decorating. There is so much focus on this one 24-hour period of time that it's not surprising 
if you get to December 26th, the day after Christmas, and you're a little disappointed because more than likely, you're going to feel the same as you did before Christmas. You're going to more than likely, your life is going to look the same. And maybe you even get a gift that you weren't looking for or didn't want. And so I just kind of want to get ahead of this a little bit because it's easy to get disappointed with Christmas. That, in fact, our our first fill-in, or at least half of it, is this. Christmas will never be perfect. Again, I want to get ahead of this. I want to lay a foundation. I I want to help um, uh, squabbles in marriage come Christmas time. Pastor said... (laughs) Christmas will never be perfect. What I mean by that is this. The outer circumstances of Christmas will never be exactly the way you want them to be and fulfill exactly the feelings you hope they would have because the food could always taste better and the kids could always act better and the gifts, they could always be better and the clothes, it could always fit better and the gifts... Well, at least from people that give them to us, those could be better as well. But while this might be true, I also want you to know 100% without a doubt that you don't have to be disappointed with Christmas even though the outer circumstances won't be perfect. See, Christmas will never be perfect, but the gift that God gave that day was. And because God gave a perfect gift, we do not need to be disappointed this Christmas. So what I want to do with us today is to kind of get a little bit in the weeds when it comes to why was God's gift so perfect? What made the gift of Jesus such an absolutely perfect gift that we needed? So this is a series where we're being intentional with focusing on the reason for the season. Again, that being Jesus. And the way that we're doing that is by for three weeks, starting last week, ending next week, following along with um, a man in the first century whose coming, whose birth, and whose life was intricately intertwined with Jesus. He actually was um, a distant cousin of Jesus. His name was John the Baptist. And last week, we, we looked at how John lived a very rudimentary life. He lived in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts with Honey, exactly, with wild honey, because those two things go together. No, it's because he could find honey in the wilderness. And the reason why he took on such a rudimentary life was because he was, he was living out the purpose of his life. He was in a tangible way showing the purpose of his life that his life was not about himself or making his name great. His life was all about focusing hearts on Jesus and making Jesus big, making Jesus great as if John um, or as if Jesus needed help with that. He was here to prepare the way for Jesus and the message of grace. The heart of that message we looked at last week, the heart of that message was repentance. And really what this reminds us of is that the path 
to a good relationship with God is not the things that you do or how good you are. The path to a good relationship with God begins recognizing that you will never be good enough, that I will never be good enough on my own to have a relationship with a holy, perfect God. But as I, as I come to realization of that, as you come to recognize that you're not perfect either, that God had a different plan and he, um, he sent someone to save us. And John's message was, hey, be, beware, look, the Lamb of God is coming. The one who's going to take away your sins, the, the one you need, he's, he's coming and he's coming soon. Again, this guy's name was John the Baptist. You know why he was called the Baptist? It's because in the wilderness, they didn't plant any Lutheran churches yet. There were only Baptist churches. And so he was, got John, that's a bad preacher's joke. But <laughs> the reason he was John the Baptist was because he was the one through whom God instituted or began this practice that we still carry out 2,000 years later, the practice of baptism. And so here's how it would work. People would come out to John in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan. They would hear the message of a savior coming. They would repent of their sins. John would tell them, Jesus is going to pay for those sins. And then if they wanted, he would have them baptized. He would baptize them for the forgiveness of their sins. It's the same reason that you and I, 2,000 years later, either have been baptized or I'd strongly encourage you to be baptized, not just or because of a declaration of, I believe in Jesus, but because through baptism, there's power. That God, the Holy Spirit, works in baptism and you receive stuff. You receive forgiveness. You receive um, the realization that you are a part of God's family through this, this washing of rebirth called baptism. Well, as John's baptizing, the world really doesn't know yet much about Jesus. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived in relative anonymity. He was not a normal kid, but at the same time, he hadn't been you know, publicly declared or he hadn't come to tell people yet who he was. And so there's this one day when John's baptizing people along the Jordan River. And this happens, Matthew chapter three. Then Jesus came from Galilee, around the, the area around the Sea of Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Can you imagine? All of, of John's preaching and teaching was about the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would be coming and then all of a sudden, he's standing in line, <laughs> waiting to be baptized by John. And again, at that moment, the, the crowds really didn't know much about who Jesus was. They, they probably didn't even recognize or notice him. But, but John in that moment, he, he didn't know everything, but he knew some things. He, he knew this was the Messiah, he knew this was the reason why John was doing all the work he was doing. And this Jesus comes to be baptized, verse 14. But 
because of all that John knew about Jesus, he tried to deter him, stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? You know, John's discomfort makes sense, doesn't it? Baptism is for what? The forgiveness of sins. And yet, they're standing in line waiting to be baptized is Jesus, the one human being who ever lived who did not need to repent because he had no sin, who did not need forgiveness because he was perfect, and who did not need the blessings of baptism. And we're going to come back a little bit later as to then why did Jesus ask to be baptized if he didn't need it? We'll come back to that. But for now, listen to Jesus' response. He says, let it be so now. And in the English, I don't think you get the full brunt of, I guess, Jesus' tone. He's, he's not being mean, but he's also not, you know, being polite. He's using a very strong command form here in the Greek. He's saying, you're going to do this, John. Do it now. I'm not giving you an option with this. I need, I want to be baptized. And so John wasn't going to make him ask a third time. And that's exactly what he did. He baptized Jesus, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, um, he went up out of the water, out of the Jordan. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. And in, in the midst of, of a group that probably numbered in the hundreds, all of a sudden they experience a day that they would never forget because this, this man whom, again, from all appearances at first would not have looked any different than any of the other men, after he was baptized, the heavens tore open. A dove came down upon Jesus. And in a voice in the sky, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And in that moment, Jesus' identity as being not just a human being, but being something special, being something different, has been declared for all those people at the Jordan River to see and to know. Why is Jesus the perfect gift? Well, the first thing I want you to think about, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more, is this, that Jesus is the perfect gift because of, first of all, who he is. See, our hearts will be in the right place when we realize that at Christmas our, our greatest need is not the perfect dinner or the perfect family or the perfect party. Our hearts are going to be in the right place, not just at Christmas, but every day, when we realize that our, our greatest need was this, a perfect 
Savior. You see, if I were to ask you, what are the the challenges and problems that you have in your life right now? I'm guessing that every single one of us could come up with something. For some of you, maybe I need to get you a second piece of paper to continue with the list. But what I want you to know and to realize in this, this moment of calm where we're focusing our hearts is that your biggest problem is not who's been elected or a virus that doesn't seem to go away. That our, our biggest problem is, is not that we have more wrinkles than we used to or that we're not as fit as what we'd like to be. Our greatest problem is not that, you know, this is another Christmas that I'm alone or that someone I love is not with me. Our biggest problem is that as much as we try and as much as we wish it would be different, that we cannot be the people we want to be, much less, even greater, the people the holy people of God that God wants us to be. Our biggest problem, guys, is sin. And so at Christmas, God didn't send a cosmetologist to help us with our skin. And he didn't send a mechanic or a home improvement person to help us with our homes. At Christmas, he sent the perfect gift. He sent a savior to take care of our biggest problem, which is sin that separated us from the Father. Now, it's interesting. When you think about who or what that savior needed to be, here's what the psalmist writes. Writes that no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom a payment for that person. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. No man, no woman can redeem the life of another. What the psalmist is saying is no ordinary man, no ordinary woman can be the ransom for a life. But at Jesus' baptism, When the father declares, this is my son whom I love. This is God. This is, I am well pleased with him. He is perfect. We hear God tell us that this was no ordinary man. And that's why during the Christmas season, we often use this name to describe Jesus. It's the name Emmanuel, which some of you know right away what it means, but here's what it means. It means God with us. That we celebrate the perfect gift, not just the birth of a child, the birth of God, which is weird to say. God, as one pastor said, God in a bod. God come to put flesh on and become a human being. You see, When God sent his savior, 
He, he didn't send someone who would be born like you and I from two sinful parents and in that way inherit a sinful nature. But instead, God sent the perfect gift. He sent Emmanuel. He sent God with us who was conceived in a miraculous way by the Holy Spirit so that he had no sin as God does not and that he could be our perfect sacrifice. When God sent a savior, he didn't send someone who would die in our place and then get stuck in the grave because he had no power over death. God sent the perfect gift. He sent Emmanuel, God with us. Someone who as true man would die, but then as true God could overcome the power of death and sin and hell so that you and I someday can do the same. And think about this. Even 2,000 years later, I hope every day you celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, because there are days when you feel alone. I know you do, but you're not. Because even though you can't see Jesus, the perfect gift, he is still with you, with his power, with his strength, with his presence. Remember the concern that John had about baptizing Jesus? Let me remind you, verse 14 says, John said, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? I mentioned earlier, why would, why would Jesus be baptized if he didn't need the power of it? Listen to his response. He said, let it be so now. Remember the command form? This is, a, this is something you're going to do, John. It is proper for us to do this, it says, to fulfill all righteousness. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Not because he needed it, but because as Savior, he was sent to be the perfect substitute in our place. Uh, sometimes in theological terms, we, we call this substitutionary atonement, that the way that we were to be atoned for our sins or our sins were to be atoned for was only through the presence and the work of a perfect Substitute. Let me unpack this for a moment because some of you maybe have lived all of your lives thinking, like, at the end of the day, why couldn't God just, like, look the other way and forgive us? Why did we need to go through all of this? Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose. Why doesn't he just forgive? And the reason you think that way is because as parents, we do that sometimes. What I mean by that is, maybe one example, Maybe the kids act up towards the end of the evening and you're tired and you kind of know that they should be disciplined, that there should be a consequence, but you're so tired. You're like, just go to bed. It's not even worth, you know, you don't say this, but you think this is not worth my time. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll just start tomorrow, a brand new day. Sometimes, even though there needs to be discipline, we just look the other way and, and, and that's what, forgiveness looks like for us sometimes. But when it comes to our sin, recognize when, when you sin, when I sin, when the world sinned, something was broken. Our relationship with God was broken. What happens when your furnace breaks and you just look the other way? It stays broken and you get cold. You see, when something breaks, 
It needs to be fixed. And what was broken was our relationship with God. And the only thing to fix that relationship was a perfect substitute, a perfect gift, a perfect gift born at Christmas. So why was Jesus baptized? You see, um, understand this. Part of Jesus' substitutionary atonement, the part we think about the most, was that he's doing on the cross, right? He was our substitute. When you see Jesus on the cross, rightfully, we should know and remember that that should be us. He suffered our pain. He took on our punishment. He suffered our death. But did you know that substitutionary atonement, well, it wasn't just seen in the cross. Jesus being the perfect gift is experienced and seen throughout his entire life because part of being the substitute was being perfect. So as an example, when Jesus forgave his enemies instead of holding a grudge, he was being the perfect substitute for you and me because there are so many times where we don't forgive and we do hold a grudge. When, when Jesus interacted with people and he was able to be patient and keep his cool and to share words of, of love and, and loving direction, he was being your perfect substitute because there are times where, well, we're not proud of the words that we share with other people. There are times where we are certainly crabby. When, when Jesus was, was thankful for an opportunity to, to go into the wilderness and to, to spend some time with his heavenly father, as we see Jesus, who, who lived in this, his life with <laughs> relatively nothing, be content. <laughs> he was being the perfect substitute for you and I who find it so hard at times to be thankful and who struggle regularly with discontentment. So with all of that, why was Jesus baptized? Well, he was your perfect substitute and he wants you to be baptized too. He was baptized not because he would receive anything from it. He was baptized because he was the perfect gift, the perfect substitute, and he was setting an example of what you and I should do as well. And so John's looking at this and we read it already, but he's kind of asking the question, what are you doing in my place? We should switch spots. I should be baptized by you. What are you doing in my place? And Jesus is like, well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> to, to take your place in the Jordan River and to be baptized. To take your place and live a perfect life that, that you can't. And ultimately, to take your place on the cross so that you don't have to suffer hell like I will. Jesus is your perfect gift. 
because of who he is. And our next villain, Jesus is the perfect gift because of what he did. Let's wrap this up with some application. You know, I think uh, we have this tendency, not just at Christmas, but in our lives to live too much of our lives in disappointment. Being discontent, being wanting of something. In fact, would I be bold, too bold to say this, that we are rarely content with what we have or who we are. I mean, if we were to really search our hearts, um, I, think, I think you'd probably agree at the very least that there's too much of our lives spent discontented with what we have or, or who we are. And I think one of the things, there's many things, but one of the things that's at the root of this is that we are often people who are on a search for something. Search for approval. Starts when you're really young. Search for approval from your parents and your teachers and your coaches. And then it's your spouse and then it's your children, right, as parents. And then it's your coworkers or your boss or whoever it might be. I think, I think probably the one that you struggle with the most, if you're anything like me, is just the approval from myself, that, yeah, I'm not perfect, uh, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm enough. And much more than just disappointment at Christmas, many of us live our entire lives that way. Here's what I want you to take home with you today, and here's what I want you to think about, because remember, Christmas, like the rest of our lives, the outer circumstances are not going to be perfect. Number four, your search for whatever it is you're looking for, approval, let's say, can end because you already have the approval that matters most. No matter who you are, or how much you make, or where you work, or where you live, or what you drive, or how your Christmas 2021 goes, or what gifts you get, or what gift, Ben, you didn't get one Christmas. You and I do not need to be disappointed at Christmas because you and I were given the perfect gift, the gift we needed the most. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this time to just take a moment to, to sit and to think and to take a breath and to rest and I pray that as we have these two more weeks coming up before um, an amazing celebration of an amazing love that you showed to us through Jesus, I just pray that we would stop our searching. That yes, there's things to get done, that's okay. 
but that we would be able to, to rest in knowing that things between you and us are good. Because, Lord, when you said to Jesus, with you I'm well pleased, because of what he did for us, you say the same to us. Not because we're great, but because Jesus was perfect in our place. And Lord, may that be the approval and the comfort that we have this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.